All right, welcome back. It is the Sports Junkies. Now the Sports Junkies today here on 106.7 The Fan. Scott Jackson here with you on Labor Day. Hope you're having a good one. We're talking about um, college football earlier. Fun weekend to watch. Maryland with a uh, big win over West Virginia. Virginia Tech on Friday uh, beat uh, North Carolina. Everybody, of course, calling the Tar Heels overrated now. ACC, a terrible, terrible weekend. Florida State almost salvaged it for them last night, but unable to beat Notre Dame, but they certainly played them well. But I guess, but isn't Notre Dame sort of an ACC team? Yeah, they're sort of, but they're not. Anyway, so we will uh, get into all that. Patrick Stevens uh, at 8.30 with us this morning. We'll talk uh, about the Washington football team with Ben Standig at 9 from the Athletic DC. Um, coming up later this hour, Dave Leno, who was uh, calling US Open action for US Open Radio, who I'm working for this week as well. He's a, a soccer guy. Uh, he calls action for the uh, up in Philadelphia. We'll get his thoughts on what the U.S. men's national team has done to themselves today. Another, another tie. Ugh, another tie in qualifying. The same pattern uh, as the last qualifying, which they didn't qualify for. So uh, that's why a lot of the soccer Twitter was up in arms last night. I was not watching, so I really, you know, I don't know. I was watching the football game. I was watching the tennis. So I was, I was preoccupied. So. I'll take your word on it that it sucked because um, nobody likes the tie. So we'll get to all that. All right, so before we do all that, though, of course, week one starts technically Thursday because of the, this Cowboys-Buccaneers uh, game. By the way, how are the Cowboys weaseling themselves in this game? I mean, I get it. You know, people love them or hate them. I hate them. You know, so they're going to draw eyeballs. And look, the NFL is open. They could put, you know, let's be real. They could put the Jaguars on, well, maybe not, but they could put a lot of teams on and do really well, like ratings-wise, on Thursday night. And it's been proven live sports still gets great ratings, um, even you know, even despite they make it, even the fact that you know a lot of sports leagues now try to make it very difficult for you to find their games. <laughs> not always on linear TV anymore. You got to get some, you got to download some stupid ass app from some place. Some, you know, like USA Basketball. Why was that on Peacock Network? I mean, are you are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> the hell's NBC doing here? I mean, stop trying to reinvent the damn wheel. I mean, <laughs> there are people that you know still actually have actual televisions and want to use them every once in a while. But you can still put it up on your, your damn digital platform, but you, you can also put it on like a real platform as well. But anyhow, I digress. Um, so this weekend, you know, that gets that gets started this week with the Bucks and the Cowboys and then all the other action. Um, among the other teams in the NFC East, you know, Eagles are at the Falcons, um, you know, which is a winnable game in theory. The Falcons, who the hell knows what they're going to have. Yeah, they're, they're starting over in a sense. Um, the Giants play the Broncos. A lot of people high on the Broncos. Actually, the Broncos are high on the Broncos. could be a tough game, even though it's in New York. The um, interesting buzz kind of – I mean, the, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is not exciting as a quarterback, but he's also not going to kill you. Like, he's not going to beat you, and that's why I think Vic Fangio went with him. But, you know, Von Miller – and I don't just think he's blowing smoke. He, he says this is the best roster they've had. That's, I mean, in terms of talent, that's saying a lot considering, you know, he was on a Super Bowl team, uh, you know, not too many years ago when they beat the Panthers and uh, Cam Newton. When Peyton Manning, you could barely throw the football, but that defense was so good. They were all over Cam Newton and that Panthers offense that day. They couldn't do anything right. That's high praise. So we'll see if uh, they can live up to the hype. But there is some, uh, there is a little bit of juice behind them 
in terms of what the people in the desert think. All right. So Washington football, it's it's pretty simple, it seems like, right? Like the, the concerns with the team are offensive related, but and I would agree with that. I mean, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, is he gonna be your seventeen week starter? Is he gonna cut out the the Fitz tragic plays? I know it's so cliche and lame to use, but is he gonna cut those plays out and let this defense do their job? And you know, hey, sometimes it's okay to punt. Sometimes it's okay to, you know, not try to make the this Fitz magic play, but I don't know if you can coach that out of a guy who's played this long. And you know, I mean, that's kind of in his DNA. And will you know will he be able to do that? And will they you know also know when to know when to fold him with him a little bit? Can they can they call the plays? Can Scott Turner you know call the plays? Does he have a sense of this guy to make sure he has the check down and knows where to go with it? And doesn't you know try to force the issue when he doesn't have to? It'd be nice to think they could play with a lead this year. I mean, really. I mean, you think about the, the sack numbers and all that stuff. You know, Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat saying, you know, they would like to get, you know, was it 24 or 25 between the two of them, whatever the hell the number is. Um, that'd be great. But, you know, part of that is you have to be winning. You have to have leads. And, you know, we we saw this last year, but I think you saw this a little bit in the preseason. And I know it's just preseason. It wasn't always the starters. But... Still a lot of concerns that run defense. I mean, as good as the defense was last year, the run defense, not so much. I mean, the rushing defense was a concern last year. Um, you know, they addressed linebacker with Jamin Davis, but, you know, and this is one of the things I'll talk to Ben about, Ben Standing later. I mean, where's he play week one? Is he your Mike, or are you moving back to the outside? I mean, they, they said they moved him in the inside in the beginning just to get him to learn the defense. You know, there's, you know, there's the jury's definitely going to be. I mean, the, the guy's going to hear about it if he isn't who they think he was, and they drafted him. It's way too early for that. But you know, I, I do think he looked lost at times in the preseason. There's no question. And I guess that's part of the learning process. But that's not what's happening to all these linebackers around the league. I mean, dude in Dallas don't look lost to me. And obviously, they couldn't draft him, Michael Parsons. He was long gone. But you know, that's going to be interesting. And linebackers still a huge weakness. They clearly showed you that when they selected their final roster because it looked like they were they were hunting they were hunting for somebody uh out there to be available but it didn't happen in terms of uh, the linebacker position and they had to settle with going back to you know bring a mayo back the guy they brought in from the giants so that's that's not a deep position um i, th- I really thought they had to get two starters this offseason for that position they only got one and we'll see if that's enough. It's going to be interesting. But at times last year, they got gashed, I mean, as a run defense. I think overall, the overall numbers weren't terrible. They were in the middle of the pack in the NFL. That was definitely a concern at times. And they've got to get uh, they get that shored up. But again, if you're leading games, it's not going to matter. If you've got your offense putting points on the board for you early, which was not the case last year. I mean, last year they were horrendous early in games on offense. And that's, that's what it boils down to. I mean, it's going to be about – you know, Scott Turner can dial up, can, you know, they can, can they cash into the red zone? And I hate to bring up the other obvious one here, but, you know, when you do kick field goals, are you going to make them? You know, it's kind of important. And I know Ron Rivera has been extremely positive with Dustin Hopkins and talking about the new snapper, you know, Cheeseman and all this, and, and that's fine, the new, the new battery, if you will. The, you know, the three of them, you know, it's not just the kicker, but – Man, look, he were, he he had another guy here for a long time. Sam Holder, by the way, still, and he missed with him too. So I think it's fair to be extremely concerned about the kicker. 
especially when you play these games that have very slim margin for error. You're a slim margin for error team because you don't have the lights out offense yet. At least we haven't seen it. You know, and I think there's still, you know, as, as good as you could, you should feel good about the defense because what they have up in the front, front four, at times front five when they do the five two. But, you know, the back end, we'll see. I mean, they look better. Uh, everything's positive out of preseason with that group, but still got to see it in practice in the games. I mean, like I said, you know, Justin Herbert, um, week one. Yeah, you say Daniel Jones week two on a short week. Who cares? He's not any good. Yeah, but he always kills this team. Uh, Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, okay, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I think what I've seen Jameis Winston with Sean Payton's been pretty damn good. But, yeah, it's not a world-beater situation. But then you got Pat Mahomes. <laughs> uh, then you got Aaron Rodgers. Then it drops off a little bit. You're going to have a Bridgewater or maybe you got Drew Locke by that point. Who knows? That's just through October. So that's just your early quarterbacks. Then you come out of the bye week, right? you got Tom Brady. Um, Carolina, yeah, not so big of it, not as bad on paper, obviously, with Sam Darnold. But then just talking about Russell Wilson, you know, Derek Carr, and then you've got, you know, basically you're back loaded with all the division games at that point after after the Vegas game on December fifth. It's Cowboys, Philadelphia, Cowboys, Philadelphia, New York, and you know, assuming Dak Prescott's healthy, you got him. So you got like mobile quarterback, mobile quarterback, and Jalen Hurts. Of course, you had Russell Wilson, late November mobile quarterback. Uh, and then again, Jay, it, it, I hate the way they schedule this, by the way. I mean, really, the, the backloading of the division games is ridiculous. So you have five division games in five weeks. <clears throat> and, you know, the Cowboys twice in three weeks, the Eagles twice in three weeks. I just, I don't know. I, I don't think that does any good for anybody. Maybe they'll throw it out before the year's over. And I guess, you know, again, you say, well, these division games, they, they mean so much. But really, when you only have six division games and you have a 17-game schedule, actually division games aren't quite what they used to be. And this has been going on for a while. Ever since they cut the division down, the divisions down to four teams versus five, the, divi- the importance of the division games, and all the coaches preach about how important it is. And to some degree, it is true, but it is actually less true than it had been in the old, good old days when you had – the bigger divisions when literally half your games were in your division. You don't have that anymore. I'm not a mathematician, but I can figure that one out. So that's the quarterback tests are true. And look, who knows? I mean, Dak could get hurt again. Hurts could get hurt. You know, all of these games could look different. The wheels could fall off Tom Brady by November. But, you know, assuming everybody is who they are, it's pretty damn challenging. So it's not just about the Washington offense. I mean, the defense is going to have to show up and do their part too. And this this whole thing without, with or without Curtis Samuel, and I do like Ron Rivera's attitude. It's all or nothing in week one. You're not going to do this snap count crap with a guy. You know, we're not going to just play him for, hey, he's got 10 snaps into the day. I mean, he's either in there or he's not. And that's why you have depth on your team. You got to, you got to show faith in those guys. I mean, they kept seven wide receivers, I think, for a reason. I, I don't think there's any question that uh, you kept the extra receiver for a reason here um if you got to suit up you know if you got to give dax Milne a uniform in week one i mean deandre carter had a really good camp you know he showed himself to be a solid returner in the preseason while well, he secures the ball the last guy here couldn't secure the ball and steve sims jr that's why he got cut but you look at you look at that situation if they don't have samuel in week one then you're talking about a lot more cam sims probably 
you know, Adam Humphreys, who does have the working relationship with with um, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. They showed pretty well at times, you know, when they're out on the field together. And, you know, it's probably being rookie Denami Brown's going to get a lot of looks. I mean, he's going to probably more so be the guy who replaces some of that Curtis Samuel stuff. I mean, maybe he's the guy they put in the backfield. Maybe he's the guy they use in motion more. Maybe, you know, maybe he's the guy they use some of this gadget stuff that, you know, they perhaps would have done with Curtis Samuel. I mean, that's, that, that's the way, you know, I, I look at it. I don't know what, what it'll end up being a practice in, in a game, I should say, what, how they're going to handle it. But I think that's the interesting part. If he's out, if he's not in there, and if he is in there, it's going to be like a whole different offense because we haven't seen him. I mean, you know, there's all these different packages and things that we've heard about in the offseason and you know saw in Carolina to some degree uh, when he was there with Scott Turner and some things that you know you're we hoping to see, but you just have not had a chance to hands, chance to watch it yet. And, you know, we were talking about the Giants earlier about their offensive line issues. I mean, this team to me on the left side, I mean, I didn't have a great feel coming out of preseason. Felt much better by the right side, as you should with Sheriff. Um, but, you know, Cosme was nice. I mean, I think the, the rookie held up well. But the left side, I mean, Leno Jr., I mean, the Bears are still crying about letting him go. But, you know, he didn't get to see a ton of him here. And what we did see wasn't all that great. And, you know, the, you know, Schweitzer, he played well last year at times. I, but I think a lot of people felt that Flowers was coming in to start, which, it, which he's not now. So that, that group's going to be interesting. You know, you would think Gibson in year two as a running back would be better as long as he can stay, you know, healthy and be durable. And I think we're just seeing the beginnings of what could be really good for him. And I like the fact that they drafted Patterson. I don't think there's nothing, there's never anything wrong with having an extra young running back. Again, we saw last year without Gibson, they were limited. I mean, there's no question. I like McKissick as a third down guy, as a, as a receiver. But if he's got to be the lead back, I think it's it's difficult for you. And I think they saw that last year, and certainly Peyton Barber was not ready for that. Um, but you got, I think you have a much better option now. If, if you know, goodness forbid, Gibson can't go. If you had to roll Patterson out there, then you got a lot better feel about that than you would uh, than you know last season. Even though he's a rookie, yeah, rookie running backs NFL doesn't matter. I mean, these guys can produce right away. Undrafted doesn't matter. I mean, he, he's a running back. I mean, <laughs> he gets off the bus, you see him, you see the way he's built, you're like, that dude's a running back. I mean, there's no question what he is. So he was terrific. He was the star of the preseason. And I'll be curious to see how they use him this year, if they'll give him some touches in games right away on Sunday. I mean, there's just so many unknowns with, with um, this team and how they're going to do it. On offense, I mean, you, you got to hope there's more. There's another gear clearly than what you saw in the preseason. I think Logan Thomas is poised to have a really good year. He looked, I mean, every day, you know, he looked apart in practice. And again, that's one thing. Obviously, got to go out and do it. But you know, and him and Fitzpatrick seem to have a pretty good connection there. They got a good, pretty good working relationship here in the early going. But as I said before, you got to you got to see it in, in in the real thing. But I think so far, um, they. They look good together, but you know, it's one Logan to build on the season he had. I mean, he had a. I don't, I don't think anybody saw him having the season he had last year. Maybe they did, but it was good. But then, of course, on the other side, outside of Logan, who else? You know, who are they going to keep active on Sundays? Is it going to be Ricky Seals Jones with Bates? Is it going to be Samus Rays with Bates? I would think Seals Jones is the definite active guy with them. 
because he's actually played in NFL games. And they kept him here because they, they think they can trust him. He's actually a pretty good receiver at times with the Cardinals. He's actually sneaky good at times. So it gives them another another option too if they have to if they have to uh if they have to do it with him. I saw a story just dropped Saquon Barkley gearing up for week one against the Broncos. Not not surprising. I mean it's been a year, close not gonna be a year, but be a year I think week two. So it's about the timetable these days. It's incredible how quickly guys come back from ACLs. Old days used to be a year, and then they would say you wouldn't really get it back till the following year. I mean, it's nuts. I don't know if I would equate it to guys being better, like from a Tommy John situation, but in terms of recovery time, it's it's incredible how quickly they can do it. Absolutely incredible how they can do it. Um, Chris Mortensen has a report this morning uh, from ESPN that says he talked with coaches and executives who are nervous about COVID testing today <laughs> with a number of players who visited their former college teams. Yeah, open games and social gatherings this past weekend. That's actually a really good point. I forgot all about that. And I guess, you know, starting the week, they have to do it. As they come back in, of course, the, the non-vaccinated guys get hit every day, whereas the um, – Vaccinated guys are weekly. All right, coming up, we'll uh, get to last night's uh, matchup. Uh, DC's own Francis Tiafu not able to quite make it through. Had a hell of a run at uh, the U.S. Open, but it had to come to an end. Also hit some uh, fallout from the USA men's national team and their tie with Canada. Dave Leno will join us straight ahead, talking both as uh, we continue here. Scott Jackson in on the Sports Junkies here on 106.7 The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Hey, welcome back. It is Scott Jackson over the Sports Junkies here on 106.7 The Fan. Happy Labor Day to you. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Hopefully you're still in bed. I'm not. I'm up, ready to roll. And uh, joining us now, up and ready to roll, just probably like, I don't know what, a block away from where I am here in New York City today is um, my buddy Dave Leno, U.S. Open Radio Calls, and uh, of course a proud Philadelphia native as well, uh, joins us here bright and early this morning. How you doing, Dave? I'm great, Scott. Good morning. Always a pleasure working with you at the U.S. Open. And what a thriller last night. I had the radio play-by-play call. Tiafo against one of the top Canadian men in Felix Auger, Eliassime. And that was a thriller last night in Ash. The crowd certainly loved that one. Yeah, it was frustrating from the uh, Tiafo standpoint. And that's how we bring you on here because, you know, Tiafo, obviously a local guy, uh, Hyattsville, Maryland, you know, played uh, up in College Park, came, you know, came through, um, you know, this area, you know, coming up. And we've seen him for many years at the City Open and, you know, hoping that he could get that breakthrough win. And, you know, to get to to where he got was was a, was a, was a good step forward, obviously, him this weekend. But, you know, we're kind of hoping he could get to the quarters. But, you know, last night it looked like he had a chance there in that third and then he, j- he just couldn't finish the set off. And, and that, that pretty much... Seem to swing the momentum, but what, what did you see as you were calling that match? What, what, done, what did him in? Yeah, to your point, that third set really was a difference. It was a third set tiebreaker uh, after they split, and Felix Auger Aliassime, after both guys seemingly were holding on their services within the tiebreak, won eight six in that third set breaker. You know, I go back and reminisce on that match, and you know, the first set he was holding really well. Tiafo playing to the crowd, he won six four, and then he got broken very early in the second set. Really couldn't be resilient and rattled back. Uh, I think that Auger Eliassime, the Canadian, was struggling with his service at the start. There were a ton of double faults. In fact, he was zero of eight on break chances converted. Auger Eliassime to Tiafo, so he wasn't capitalizing. Obviously, that improved moving forward, and once he won that. That third set tiebreaker, he was in cruise control, and it was very tight, you know, going into the fourth set. But Tiafo really uh, couldn't overcome, uh, you know, a break opportunity, and Auger Eliassime took it. I think, you know, there were a couple of uh, you know mishandled returns. There were a lot of block returns yeah. from uh, Tiafo. You know, there were, were nice. He has a nice flat, short two-handed backhand that really worked well in the beginning part of that match, Scott. But Auger Eliassime again got flat, short two-handed backhand that really worked well in the beginning part of that match, Scott. But Auger Aliassime, again, got more aggressive, more consistent on his baseline play, missed a couple of volleys at the start of the match, came through at the end, and he pulled through. He had over 20 aces in the match, and Tiafo and is rolling onto the quarters for the second straight major. Um, all right, so for the big big picture question on Tiafo, I mean, you know, now that it seems like the seas are parting for some of these younger players, you know, we call some of them next-gen guys, or, you know, now they're saying now-gen, <laughs> you know, in some cases. Um, what, where, where do you see him kind of fall in this pecking order if we, we are under the assumption that, obviously, Federer's better days are behind him, if all those days are behind him, for that matter? Obviously, Nadal, you know, still dealing with, with his injuries. He's not even here. And Djokovic is obviously the class of, of everybody. But where, where do you see Tiafo fitting into the to the future here, potentially? Well, I think that he's definitely a guy that does have it. I don't think this is a stretch. Mm-hmm. Top 10 potential. I mean, for, to, to fall, in my opinion, within the top 10, you need big weapons, right? You need, you need a big serve where you're going to be holding seemingly every time. And you need, you know, a huge forehand, huge backhand, if you will. And if you can have a net game, an all-around game, 
that's even fabulous. And a cherry on the top. I think Tiafu has that obviously with his forehand. Um, when I when you ask me about the big picture of you know U.S. men, you know names that come to mind that I think might have a chance to surpass him, and I, I really are starting to already. Like Riley Opalka right now is yeah. into you know, the round of 16, bidding to go to the quarters actually today at the U.S. Open. Jensen Brooksby is just 20 years old. That's another name to keep an eye out for. He's facing uh, Novak Djokovic tonight. Um, another name that I've told you a lot about at the U.S. Open that I, that I called that upset over John Isner, who right now is the top-ranked male. I don't think he'll be the top-ranked male if you go in the next year or two. I think some of these younger guys that I'm mating are going to pass him. But Brandon Nakashima is absolutely a top-20 mm-hmm. player, um, a guy that I think is even more consistent on both sides than Francis Tiafo. I think it's Tiafo, like like last night. I, he has the capability to beat Alger Eliassime last night to go far, and he could be, go to the semifinal of a major. There's no problem, and I think he will one day. So it's really you know up to him. If he continues that consistent play at the majors with all that pressure, You know he's a guy that can compete for a major. But then there, there, there's guys that just have a little bit more to his game, like a, like a Sebastian Cord is another one. His sister Nellie Cord, as you know, is the number one female golfer in the world. It's another sister as well as a top yeah. golfer, too, on the LPGA Tour. Uh, Seb Corda uh, is, is one that's really going to blossom, too. Then there's some Americans that are further down the list. But, again, just, just to bookend this, I think that Tiafo absolutely has an opportunity to be a top-ten player. But let me tell you, there are other American men that are even younger than him that are rising to up the rankings, so it's certainly going to be interesting. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Jensen Brooksby, who has, look, I mean, this would be a huge upset tonight, right? I mean, if he were to beat Djokovic, um, it'll be, but but what you got going for you that's interesting, if he can just, you know, find some confidence and and obviously win some win some games in a few sets uh, is he's going to have the crowd, isn't he? Today, do you, do you feel like he's going to have the crowd if he if he just shows some guts out there tonight uh, against Djokovic on Labor Day? Yes, I think you will, and I, I think uh, Novak Djokovic has you know battled the crowd off and on here uh, so far at the U.S. Open, and for Brooksby, a guy that really frustrates his opponents, going to make the opponent work. Um, like I said, he's only 20. He's made a couple runs this summer um, as of late. Uh, made a great run at, in Newport at the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he's a guy that definitely can hang in against Djokovic. Djokovic usually, you know, I know he's a guy that typically wins in straight sets in these types of matchups facing a 20-year-old American. But I really feel if Jensen Brooksby can frustrate him at the outset, he can steal a set and the crowd's going to be on him. I think that's something just on the, the, the big picture thing that Novak yeah. is going to battle. And I think, Scott, and you know this, I, I think Djokovic knows going in that the whole crowd is going to be pulling for Brooksby inside Ash. But what, what Jensen has to do tonight is he's just going to have to be rock solid to, to sustain you know, 10 to 15 shot rallies often. That needs to be commonplace tonight. You know, I, I can't see him you know, jetting up to the net with his transitions, trying to short, shorten the points because he knows Djokovic – you know, the world number one is just going to pass him often. So he's going to have yeah. to hang back. I hope he doesn't return all the way back by the backdrop. I, heard, I hope he's a couple steps to the baseline because he's still aggressive. But if he can turn that defense to the offense to get Djokovic rattled a little bit from the start, I think that's key for the 20-year-old American. Now, 
Big picture with Djokovic. I mean, we talked about, yeah, not beloved. They're, look, I, you know this. I'm walking around these grounds. I see people with Federer hats on still. I see the people with their, with their, um, you know, Nadal t-shirts with his logo. So there's a lot of that going on here. These people still showed up. They don't like this guy. He's about to take something they thought was going to be their guys, uh, here, whether it's this weekend. I mean, you play the long game. This guy's in a better position to do it than they are or their guys are. Um, this is significant, though. I mean, again, 1969, most people that are uh, watching this event or at this event, you know, barely remember that or were not alive when it happened. Um, obviously, Rod Laver last won a Grand Slam, uh, you know, a calendar Grand Slam. I mean, do you think people are catching – I know the tennis fans understand the historical part of it. Is this kind of getting lost maybe because Novak Djokovic isn't beloved like a Roger Federer or as respected as an adult? I mean, wh- wh- why do you think this is kind of getting lost in the shuffle right now? I think it's just because Djokovic is such a polarizing figure. Um, I think, mm-hmm. you know, when walking the grounds here in Flushing Meadows, New York, I'm not hearing a lot about, oh, he's going for the calendar slam for the first time since 69. Oh, he's right. going for that first major to pass Nadal and Federer. Because I just think that Nadal and Federer, and I'll even throw Andy Murray in the mix, who lost here earlier, I, they're so beloved with the way that they play, yeah. with the way that they act towards the fans. Djokovic, in my opinion, should get that recognition from the crowd, that respect, because of his play. I think just watching him and following the tours all season long over the years, I just think sometimes he's so hot and cold. It was evident at the Olympics where he had a meltdown in the bronze medal match. He defaulted last year in the round of 16, you know, hitting a lines person, in my mind, by accident. But Mm -hmm. obviously... He was out. They had to default him. They couldn't just give it a pass because of the world number one, because that would have been, you know, anybody, that's the letter of the law there. Um, I think think it is lost. And I think as a tennis guy, it's a shame because we are watching history. I will say this, having said all that, I think you're going to see, you know, the tie change a little bit, Scott, as this tournament rolls on. You know, look, I I think he does beat Jensen Brooksby tonight. I inevitably think it's going to be the chalks at the end. I, I really believe it's going to be Djokovic against Medvedev in the men's singles final. And I think once that happens, yeah, the crowd might be pulling for Medvedev or whoever Djokovic plays if Djokovic uh, continues to get there. But I think people are going to know history, and I think they're going to appreciate it by the end. This New York crowd has a lot of fun. Uh, they definitely mm-hmm. like the underdog. It's been upset city here. I mean, qualifiers yes. have gotten to this point. Uh, now she just turned 19 actually today. Layla Fernandez is into the quarters for the first time uh, at the U.S. Open in, in her um, career. So I think for Djokovic, I think the crowd is going to get on his side. But again, it may not happen here in New York literally until the last set when he's on the verge of making history. All right. I know you're also – we're here with Dave Leno, who uh, works in Philadelphia normally. You may have caught the accent. I don't know if you could pick it up here this early, uh, <laughs> doing U.S. Open radio as well. Uh, I know you're a soccer guy as well, so I've got to ask you – and you were busy working last night, so I don't expect you to give me a recap of the game, but I'm not even asking for that. Is All right, the U.S. men's national team losing um, – or no, excuse me, losing, tying last night, although you thought they lost with the reaction um, – how significant is that, and how big of a uh, hurdle could that potentially be to what they're trying to do, which is obviously qualify for for the World oh Cup? Oh, my gosh. There's, there is so much pressure on that U.S. men's national team. Uh, I broadcast with the Philadelphia Union. I'm sorry to all the D.C. United fans listening <laughs> out there. I do love D.C. They love calling those matchups. In fact, you guys beat us for the first time 
uh, since 2017, a couple weeks ago. The Union have had D.C.'s number back to the U.S. team. You know, our, one of our former players, Brendan Aronson, who was transferred to Europe, uh, he scored last night early. And then there were no attacking, you know, substitutions in that match. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of followed a, a lot of the stats and the highlights and, the, and what people were saying because the, I was calling that the Tiafa Aljeliac match during the game. I think it's tough, and, and I, it's a shame to me uh, looking at this national team that Greg Berhalter, you know, didn't make you know the, the substitutions earlier that he needed to make after Canada equalized, and, and that's been a problem. I think there was a breakdown on the goal with with Brooks wasn't marking his man, and they scored to make it one one. But but in the way that that the U.S. men's national team has played, for example, Mexico over the last couple of times, and in one of those contests dominated seemingly. It's just a shame that these are just flat performances. I thought some of the, mm-hmm. the lineup changes were questionable. I know Weston McKinney didn't play due mm-hmm. to a violation of team rules. Gio Reyna was hurt. Uh, so I, Walker Zimmerman didn't start. Uh, so, again, I don't know what the situation is there. But right. I think that this team needs to, moving forward, they got to rack up wins left and right. I mean, this is crazy because you know, a lot of people were saying, I remember, you know, just in my MLS circles, but speaking to people who covered the game internationally, too, you know, how much this country was set back, how we, we didn't go to the World Cup in the last World Cup. I mean, gosh, it, it, that was a nightmare scenario, losing to Trinidad and Tobago on that cow pasture, seemingly. And now you're going to get a new <laughs> opportunity. We're going to have to play some of these countries, Scott, that, that they're not just going to give the U.S. the games. And, and that, yeah. they need to go out there and really, you know, come up with two, three nothing wins, get some confidence back that, right. that they can dominate CONCACAF and then get back on the world stage. Because I think – you know, move, they got to gain the momentum moving into 2026 when the U.S. is going to host with Canada and Mexico. So this is very important now. I think they have the talent with so many young players under 23, which is actually way different than, than previous U.S. men's national teams. But they got to have some fight, right? Like they've had in 94 and moving forward. I mean, th- this is really, really hard to watch for a lot of U.S. fans. And, and a lot of the fans, I believe, at, at, at that stadium were booing last night, the U.S. off the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, just awful. So hopefully it gets yeah. better. No doubt. Hey, I'll see you a little bit later on. Appreciate you uh, getting up early with us after a late night. Thanks so much, Dave. Take care. All right, Scott. Thank you. And uh, happy Labor Day to everybody uh, listening today. All right, sounds good. Thanks. Uh, Dave Leno, uh, again, voice of the Philadelphia Union, and obviously calling tennis this week here at uh, the U.S. Open for U.S. Open Radio. And a uh, tough one last night for Francis Tiafo. Um, of course, came through the JTCC uh, up in College Park. Hopefully good things to come for him off of that performance. But I like his comments after the match. I can't read half of them on the air because they did have expletives involved. But <laughs> let's just say he wants to take advantage of this time uh, with the big two of the big three out of, of the equation in, in tennis. All right, coming up, we'll uh, get back to some football conversation. We've also got Ben Standing coming up in the – or excuse me, uh, Patrick Stevens coming up in the next hour as we get to Maryland's big win over the weekend as well as they beat West Virginia in their opener. It is uh, the Sports Junkies, Minus the Junkies today. Scott Jackson with you here on 106.7 The Fan.
All right, welcome back. It's uh, Sports Junkies here on 106.7 The Fans. Scott Jackson with you. We're here at little 10 to this morning. Um, Nats baseball later today on 1235. Uh, Nats on deck. They wrap up that five-game set with the New York Mets. All right. Um, so thanks to Dave Leonard for joining us, voice of Philadelphia Union, also doing U.S. Open Radio this week up here in New York. Uh, good talking to him. Earlier about the uh, Francis Tiafoe match last night, yeah, it was just like a lost opportunity, unfortunately for him. Um, you know, he, he's the fans love him up here. I mean, they they absolutely love uh, Tiafoe as they should. I mean, he plays the crowd. He's an American. I mean, they like all things, you know, USA tennis. But it, it's more to it than that. I mean, he gets big crowds when he's not playing in the stadium courts here too. Um, got a lot of charisma about him. He's a lot of fun. Um, you know, the sport needs some energy like that. They need, they need more guys like that. They do. And they have quite a few, actually, a lot of these young players. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, it's a weird situation because here's a sport that has had three of the greatest players ever that, or the three greatest players ever. <laughs> and it's not as popular in this country as it was back, you know, say the Johnny Mack, Connors era, Beyond Borg, even when, you know, even Agassi era and, and Sampras and that, that crew. It's just, it's dropped off and it's, a lot of it is because, not a lot of it, but 99.9% of it in this country at least is because there's not a great American player right now. You know, that's, that's, that's how it is. And unfortunately on the, on the women's side, it's basically right now this week is, you know, Usually, you could count on at least Serena Williams making the semifinals, and she's obviously not playing. Um, you know, and in hopes of you know Coco Goff or Sloane Stevens making a run. Well, they had to play each other early, which is a horrendous draw. And so now, you know, you're you're left with you know with really a little or no hope potentially of having a, a female in the semifinals, which is like unheard of on the, on the U S side. If, unless Shelby Rogers makes a run, she's already gone further than most thought, you know, she knocked off the number one C the other day, but you know, she got Raducanu today and you know, it's always the hardest matches and one after you pull off the big upset. So we'll, we'll see, but I, it's been interesting. I mean, there's a lot of fans here. I mean, again, it's weird being around like 53,000 people after, you know, a year of doing basketball games in empty arenas <laughs> and and doing doing stuff virtually. I mean, I was you know going to the preseason games this year with Washington football. I mean, just because the I mean, there's two preseason games. I went to one of the two. The other ones we did from the studio. There weren't that many fans. I mean, it was I mean it was like scrimmage level amount of fans. And it'll be interesting to see this Sunday. And I mean. I don't know what to expect in terms of numbers at at FedEx Field on Sunday, but it does take a little getting used to. A little getting used to. I don't think you're going to see the numbers and the chaos you saw from college football this weekend. I, I don't. I mean, I think Washington football would love that, but I just I don't get the sense when you're still pushing tickets right now that that's the kind of crowd you're going to get. And I don't know if it's you know again if is it, is it COVID that's keeping people away from these events or is it just the team, right? Like, I don't know if I'm buying into this yet. Is it that? You know, I mean, there was been some damage done that we we don't really – we didn't have to talk about last year because there were no fans in the stands. But we all know the damage that's been done here. And, you know, you don't solve that overnight. You didn't solve it in one season necessarily. Um, you know, we're all – we all, uh, you know, pay attention. We see that there are tickets available, single game, which is not – 
the case, nor used to not be the case, or at one point was a waiting list, which apparently does no longer exist. So I'm I'm very curious to see what the crowd's going to be like. Thank goodness it's a team like the Chargers, who I don't believe have a ton of support in this area, but who knows? I mean, we've seen other team takeovers. I hope that's not the case. I don't think it will be with the Chargers, but, you know, stupid Eagle fans show up or the Giants fans. And yeah, those godforsaken Cowboy fans. I mean, they, you know, they have an impact. Don't think you'll see that this week, but I'm just wondering. I'm just curious to see what the numbers end up looking like when it's all said and done because – it just didn't, uh, you know, just, just again, hearing about all the ticket options throughout the preseason makes me wonder. People just aren't ready to go back yet. Is it the team? Is it, you know, what is it? Because really nothing, you know, really, it's hard to have a real good barometer on after not having anything last year. I mean, it's, this will be a whole new thing. This will be the first game, really, you, you would think that, you know, Rob Rivera, you know, hopefully has a home field advantage. I mean, first game that he has that i mean there's other games they had you know like a few thousand people smattering it's not the same thing you know they played in places against you know they played last year i mean texas or whatever it's called now jerry world i call it jerry world's at&t right uh in dallas i mean they had on thanksgiving they had pretty much you know three quarters full i mean texas had different rules they had a lot of fans there they had a lot of fans there throughout the season compared to the other teams in the nfl not that it, it didn't help them at all, but they did. They did have fans at least. So, but I, I think Sunday. I mean, I don't know what to expect. I really don't. Hopefully, something good. Hopefully, it's hopefully it's positive for the home team. I mean, I think they they need that. They could use that against a good what appears to be a good Chargers team. Make some noise, so Justin Herbert can't hear. I mean, it's going to be ten in the morning for those guys playing this early game for a West Coast team. All right, uh, we'll take a timeout. Next hour, we'll get back into some college football. Patrick Stevens is going to join us. We'll talk about the Terps win, talk about the Hokies win, all things college football. Not the best weekends for the ACC as well. So we'll get to all that coming up. It is uh, the Sports Junkie Show. Mine is Sports Junkie. Today, Scott Jackson with you here on 106.7 The Fan.